Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. Hallelujah. The Lamb has set me free. What an awesome thing to know that we've been set free from our sin. We've been set free to live again. We've been given the power of the Holy Spirit um, to be able to carry out what God's called us to do in this world. Um, those are incredible truths. As we sang those words this morning, there's, there's, of, of all of those songs, there's so many incredible truths in those words. And I hope when you come in here and you sing and we're worshiping, um, that it does become much more than just words on a screen. But when we are proclaiming the truth of God that we see um, in Scripture and we're singing that, man, how powerful, how awesome. I hope it encourages you. You know, I was thinking about as we sang, God is a mountain, you know, God is a God who moves mountains. He's not moved by them, right? And, and how amazing is that, that in the things we face in our life, the mountains we run into, that God is a God who moves those, but he's not threatened by them. He doesn't fear them. Um, he's not moved, but they move. And so I hope you're encouraged to worship. Um, you know, it's, it's amazing to think that we can come and be in the presence of the God of the universe um, and, and lift his name high and be reminded of who he is and what he's done. And, and I hope this morning was encouraging for you um, as much as it was for me. So today we're going to continue uh, in this series called To Be Continued as we look at the book of Acts. And so we're going to start out, though, in Genesis chapter 11. And uh, then we're going to jump over. We're going to read a good bit of scripture this morning. Um, and so I hope, you know, you brought your Bible. I hope you brought, um, you know, a way that you can follow along with this. I would encourage you to do that every week you come in here. We're going to open this. Um, so bring a Bible with you. Bring something to write some things down with on. And then you can go this week. You can spend time on your own with God, letting him continue to speak to you about these things as you um, continue to press into him. And so we're going to go to Genesis chapter 11. We're going to read the first nine verses. Then we're going to jump to Joel, um, the prophet Joel, one of the, what they call the minor prophets. He, um, and we're going to go to Joel chapter two. We're going to read verses 28 through 32. And then we're going to finally get over into Acts and we're going to read several verses there. So Genesis chapter 11, this is after sin and the fall happens. Um, see that in Genesis three, God's flood of the earth. All these things are going on. Uh, man's lost relationship with God, relationship with each other has been really jacked up and their purpose has been lost. And that's what we're about to see here um, at the Tower of Babel. You probably heard that phrase if, if not read these verses. Um, but the Tower of Babel, it says, now the whole earth, the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar from mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. I want you to notice as we read this, they're doing exactly the opposite of what they were created to do. They were created to spread out throughout the earth, to be fruitful and multiply. They were created to glorify God in the earth, not themselves. I want you to notice in this that these people who had a common speech, it doesn't mean that they all had one language. It would be somewhat similar to how um, English is spoken in a lot of different places. 
um, but there are also other languages, but they, they have this common language that they're able to speak. And so this unified people is doing exactly the opposite of what they were created to do. And so they're trying to make a name for ourselves. They say, otherwise we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But wasn't that the point, right? Um, but the Lord came down to the city to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Now, let's go to Joel. Um, like I said, one of the minor prophets. Um, if you don't know where it's at, good luck. Uh, you might want to just look at the front of your Bible, um, small book. So uh, good luck there. Um, but you might just want to look and find your table of contents and go to it. If you can ever uh, come to Hosea, just you're almost there. Just keep going. So Joel chapter 2, verse 28 says this. And afterwards, this is God making a promise uh, to the people of Israel he says, or the Jewish people, and afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I'll show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will turn, be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the, the, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Now let's go over to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. We're going to read the, almost the whole chapter, but I want us to see this as a whole. We've talked about parts of this. Now I want us to see most of this as a whole. So it says this. We talked about how Jesus had promised the coming of the Holy Spirit. Once the Holy Spirit comes, they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Now we get to Acts chapter two. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. So all these people from um, what Luke knew as the, the entire world, this entire Roman area. Um, and and th these people have come for this festival of Pentecost, which we talked about last week. So every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who were speaking Galileans? Then how is it each of us hears in our native language, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked each other or asked one another, what does this mean? And so some of them are inquiring like, what, what is this? Something's happening. But others, it says, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. So he's saying, let me tell you what's happening 
here. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Come back at three and check us out. We could be intoxicated by that point, but it's way too early to be that drunk right now, right? Some of y'all have still been drunk at nine o'clock in the morning, but not many of you have gotten drunk at nine o'clock in the morning, right? Let's just be honest. So he stood up, he's like, no, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. Um, he said, I'm gonna explain this to you. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Does this sound familiar? Okay. Remember we read Joel chapter two, verse 28 through 32. This is what he's quoting at this point. He says, I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man Credit, accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. He's like, you know this, you, you've seen this. You, many of you saw this happen. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. So God knew this was gonna happen. He knew that Jesus was gonna go to the cross. He knew he would be handed over. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. So now he's going back to other um, Old Testament writing um, where David, King David, is, is really being used by God to prophesy what's coming. I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead and you will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with, your, with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried in his tomb is here to this day, but he was a prophet and knew that God had promised on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah that he would not abandon, he would not be abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven and yet said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. He's saying, in other words, these, these things that were said to David were looking ahead to Jesus. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. He just basically called them murderers and said, listen, um, you killed the son of God. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Father, we thank you for your word. 
God, that we can hold it in our hands, that we can read it, that it has been preserved for us to give us life, to give us wisdom, to give us strength. God, I thank you that it is not um, just black and white, uh, black letters on white pages, God, but this God that we hold in our hands is living and active. And so Father, right now, I pray that as we look at this deeper, as we go through these passages, Lord, that you will speak to our hearts, God, that we too, like these Israelites on this day of Pentecost, that we too would be cut to the heart, that God, we too um, would be drawn closer to you, God, that we too would hear you once again calling our name, calling us close so that God, we would draw near to you for God, you have drawn near to us in the person of Christ. And we thank you for that this morning in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Um, I'm sure most of you have had an experience of being misunderstood. Anybody ever had a conversation where your words were just way misunderstood? Like you can just think about times where you're like, didn't see it going that way. Weren't, wasn't my intention. When I was working in the roofing business, um, I'd actually gone into ministry, um, had a bad ministry experience. Um, God began to work in our lives and we felt led to start this church. And so as we were starting the church, um, it's pretty hectic time for us. I was finishing my masters. I was, um, we were planning the church. Uh, we had kids, um, you know, life, family. And I was also working about 30, 40 hours a week at that time. Um, outside of the church. And so we're trying to get this going. And, and so I went back and I was working for a friend of mine in the roofing business. That was my background at the time. And the first day I go back to work there, um, I'd worked there previously. Now I'm back there just as we're starting the church, hoping, you know, that this thing is what God's leading us to. And eventually, you know, I'll be here full time being able to do what, whatever God leads us towards. Well, the first day I go back, I go into his office. I'm like, all right, I'm here. What am I supposed to be doing? I don't even know what I'm supposed to be doing. He's like, look, we're supposed to um, renegotiate a contract with Georgia Southern for their maintenance work. And so he was like, I want you to go out there. He goes, look, man, you're anointed to speak to people and stuff like that. Like God has evidently given you this gift. He's like, I want you to go and I want you to speak to this guy. And he told me his name, told me where his office was. And I want you to renegotiate this maintenance contract at Georgia Southern. And so I was like, all right, I'll go do that. And this other guy, he was probably at that time in his 60s, um, had some health issues, a little bit shorter than me. And, um, you know, he, he just wasn't um, in the greatest of shape, but he had a lot of knowledge about roofing. So he went with me. So we go and we go to this guy's office and I walk in and we're talking and everything seems fine, right? We're just kind of small talk. And then he, he finally stops and he goes, so what do you want to do? What are, your th what are y'all thinking about this contract? And my boss had already told me, you know, let's just propose to them just to keep doing the same thing we're doing. And so I just said to him, this is literally, this is all I said. I said, um, we feel like it would be good if we just kept doing the same thing we've been doing. And all of a sudden his face turned completely red and he gets so angry and he's like, he hits, he's like, what did you say to me? And I'm like, ah, <laughs> evidently you didn't hear what I thought I said. And he's like, what did you say? I'm like, we just wanted to do what we've been doing. That's all, I'm sorry. And he starts getting mad. And, and then eventually he stands up and he's like, get out of my office. And I'm like, what? He goes, get out of my office. And I'm like, and then I felt like this, just something come up in me. I'm like, I ain't going nowhere. 
And he's like, if you don't get out, then I'll throw you out. And I'm like, well, you're gonna have to throw me out because I'm not moving. I'm like, God is a mountain that can't be moved. I'm like, I'm not going anywhere. And he's like, you need to go. And, um, and so we're standing there, I'm like, whoa, dude. I'm like, whoa, 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 what's going on? I don't even know what you're mad about. I don't even know what you're so upset about. And then he looks at me and, and Wayne is sitting down over here behind me. And he looks at me and he goes, if you don't leave, I'll call the police. I'm like, call them. He goes, if you don't leave, I will physically remove you. And then little Wayne's back here. He jumps up, he unzips his jacket. He goes, hold on now, ain't nobody gonna be physically removing nobody. I'm like, we about to throw down. And so anyway, he finally like calls my boss and he's like, rrr, rrr, you know, he's going on about all this stuff. And, and I'm like, I'm not leaving. And so then my boss calls me and he's like, hey, just, just walk outside. I'm on the way. And so I walk out, he goes, he, he handles the whole thing. But at that point, I'm like, I don't know what just happened. You know what I mean? I'm like, my heart's beating 100 miles an hour. Dude had like an anchor tattooed on his forearm. I'm about to get beat up by this sailor. And I don't even know what I did. It was a complete misunderstanding. And so I still to this day don't know. They never asked me to go back and talk to him because I'm anointed. Um, but I still to this day don't know the misunderstanding that happened. Like it's so easy sometimes, especially now in the days of text messages and stuff to misunderstand things and, and to misinterpret things and to not really know like what somebody's saying or to get things that our, our wires all crossed. And, and when we look at the, this day of Pentecost, there's a misunderstanding that's taking place. When we look at this, these people, some of them are like, what is this man? What's going on? Like, what, what, what's happening? And then some of them are like, these people are drunk, man. Look at them, they're crazy. And so they're, they're, they're trying to kind of figure it out. And, and one group is kind of like, something's happening. We, we see that something's going on. And then the other group is like, man, they're toasted. And there's this misunderstanding of God and one group is inquisitive, the other is mocking. And a lot of what we're seeing here with the coming of the Holy Spirit is somewhat of this. You can look at it as two-sided. On one side, the Holy Spirit came to give life. On the other side, the Holy Spirit came and, and it's a, 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 in a way like God's judgment. We talked last week about the wind blowing and the spirit and wind and breath being the same word in Greek and in Hebrew, it's, um, in Hebrew it's ruach and Greek this new mind, this wind would blow. And, and we talk about um, how the chaff is separated when, when um, John the Baptist talked about this. When Jesus comes, he'll separate the wheat from the chaff and the chaff would be thrown up and the, the, the empty um, chaff would be blown away. The wheat, the grain, when they're threshing this wheat would fall to the ground. And when the Holy Spirit came, it really began to separate out those who would follow Jesus and those who wouldn't. And we still see that today. When Jesus is preached, when the gospel is preached, some people become inquisitive. Their hearts are drawn in. God begins to call them to himself. Then other people we see, they're, they're repelled. They're like, this is stupid. And so it's still today, this is happening. But on the day of Pentecost, there was this misunderstanding. When you look at this, I want you to see that when Peter begins to explain this, he goes back to the prophet Joel. And he says, what y'all are seeing, what y'all are hearing, they're not drunk. What, what y'all are seeing and what y'all are hearing is what God promised long ago through his prophets, that one day he would pour out his spirit. 
We read about the Tower of Babel, where there was this one people with one language, and they were able to, to begin to build this tower to heaven. They, they were trying to make a name for themselves. They were trying to glorify themselves in all the earth. They were doing exactly the opposite of what God had created them to do. And here's what's incredible. They're trying to build this this tower to heaven, this city that would glorify their name. And they're thinking like, we're going to build this city to heaven. We're going to build this tower up here and we're going to build it literally up into the, the, the sky and it's going to be awesome. And, and it's like, they're, they're, there's no greater, clearer, more obvious picture of rebellion and earth and man trying to exalt themselves as God than the picture that happens at Babel. And yet here's the crazy thing about it. When we fast forward and we go to Pentecost, we see the exact opposite with God because man at Babel were trying to exalt themselves and raise themselves up to heaven. And we see at the day of Pentecost where heaven literally comes to earth. And we see this happen where man has pridefully tried to exalt themselves as God. And then at Pentecost, the power of God humbly but powerfully comes upon man. And I wouldn't say that Pentecost was a reversal of Babel, but I would say it was a redemption of it. These effects of Babel and the pride of man and all of this was overcome at Pentecost. The day of Pentecost, when God pours out his spirit on oh man, they begin to worship and proclaim God's message um, or, or worship and proclaim the wonders of God. And then what we begin to see is that everybody around them begins to hear them in their own languages. They're, they're proclaiming this. At Babel, the languages were scattered. But at Pentecost, there's this one language that begins to be um, proclaimed and, 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 and these people are hearing in their own languages. And people debate, was it a, a miracle of speaking or was it a miracle of hearing? I don't know, it was a miracle. And we see this, listen, that, that this message was intended not just for the Jews in Jerusalem. It wasn't coincidence that the day that the, the Spirit of God was poured out, Luke, as he wrote the book of Acts, could say this, that every nation under heaven was there. Because this message wasn't intended to stay in Jerusalem. This message was intended to go throughout the world. One of the sins of Babel was that they wanted to stay together. God's like, no, 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 no. This message that begins with the Jews isn't intended to stay with the Jews. It's intended to go to the ends of the earth to proclaim this message of good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. And we see the power of the Holy Spirit working in that way and beginning to move them there. So we see where this message was intended to go. It was intended to go throughout the world. And at that moment, that, the, the, the world as they knew it was represented in Jerusalem at the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We also see in this who the message was intended to go to. As we read Acts chapter two, we read where Peter says, look, this, this is for this, this promise of, of forgiveness of sins, this promise of all these things, this promise is for you and your children and for those who are far off. Who was it intended to go to? It wasn't just intended to go to the Jewish people at this point. No, no, it was intended to go to the Gentiles. That would be most of us. There may be some people who um, have uh, you know, Jewish background in here, but for the majority of us, we are Gentiles. We are non-Jews. 
And what Peter is saying is, listen, this is for you, it's for your children, but this is also for those who are far off. This is gonna go to the Gentiles. It's gonna be a fulfilling of what God promised Abraham when he said, listen, your seed, um, the whole world is gonna be blessed through your seed. Your whole world is gonna be blessed through your offspring, meaning Jesus. And so this, this message is intended to go it's not intended to go and see Gentiles were considered to be unclean. Gentiles were considered to be sinful. And listen, here's the awesome thing about this. When we read this and Peter says, these people who are far off, it's those people who are not Jewish, but understand this too. It's also for us who are so unclean. For us who are so imperfect. For us who don't have it together. That Jesus didn't come for those who've got it together, those who think they are healthy. He came for those who know they are sick. Anybody know you're sick? Anybody know that and recognize I'm brokenhearted? The good news is that's who Jesus came for. Jesus didn't come for the people that can stick their nose up in the air and like, I got it all together, look at me. Jesus came for those who know they're broken and they're hurting and they need somebody, someone to step into their life and begin to heal their heart and begin to put the broken pieces back together. And he came to those who were far off, those who didn't even have him in mind, those who blaspheme, those who, who, who don't want anything to do with God. And yet he still comes to those broken, hurting, sinful people and calls them to himself. And so we see who this is to. One of the interesting things, if you go read Genesis 11, you know what comes after Genesis 11? Genesis 12, exactly, that's good, that's good. Um, Genesis 12, but what's interesting is in Genesis 11, you see man at its worst, right? They're glorifying themselves. They don't wanna do what God's told them to do, da, 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 da. And you see this judgment on them. But then you go to Genesis chapter 12 and God comes to, the man, to a man by the name of Abram. And, and um, ultimately his name would be changed. It would become Abraham. And this is really what you could call the patriarch, um, the beginning of our faith from the standpoint of God begins to carve out a people for himself. How incredible is it? Listen, that in the moment that mankind is just screwing it up as bad as they could possibly screw it up, God comes to Abram, who there was nothing special about Abram. If you go read about Abram, Abram was a jacked up dude, right? Abram was all kind of messed up. But God comes to Abram right after mankind's most sinful um, uh, you know, behavior and he calls him and he makes a promise to him that your offspring are gonna be like the, the, the sand on the seashores, like the stars in the sky. You're gonna have this offspring and through your offspring, through this one that's gonna come, the whole earth is gonna be blessed. What an amazing picture of God's grace that even when we as mankind rebel against him, he still comes to us and makes a way for us to come back to him. Abraham, not a perfect man, but chosen by God. And God comes to him, reveals himself to him, calls him to him and uses him in an incredible way. Much like these people that we see in the book of Acts in chapter two, very imperfect 
perfect people. In fact, when we get a couple of another ver- a chapter or two in, we're gonna see where the people that are opposing them basically say this. These people in Greek are idiotes. The Greek word. What do you think we get from idiotes? Idiot. In other words, these men are uneducated idiots. It says this though, but they could tell they'd been with Jesus. So God comes to imperfect people. This message to go around the world to imperfect people. We also see in this what this message is intended to accomplish. The first thing we see in it is is it was intended to bring humanity back together. There was this unified humanity, this new humanity that was to be created through faith in Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we see this where people were scattered at Babel. Now we see that through the power of the Holy Spirit, God is bringing them back together. One new humanity created um, and now recreated to live together, to have unity, to have purpose together so that they can fulfill the original purpose that God called them to. And so when we look at this, this is one of those first things we see. We see that this is intended to be where God starts to fulfill another prophecy out of Habakkuk 2.14, where he says this, he promises, he makes a statement. This is not a possibility or a maybe. He says, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, just as the waters cover the seas. And we see that this is the beginning of that fulfillment that these people now, even though they're not gonna huddle up in one place, they're gonna scatter around the earth. My church, the assembly of people who gather in my name are gonna make my name known. They're gonna make my glory known throughout the earth. And so there's new humanity that's created. It's why unity in the church is so important. It also is intended to this, this message of Christ, the redemption of God is also intended to cut us to the heart. Verse 37 says this, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And here's the thing I wanna encourage you with is the gospel of Jesus is still powerful. The gospel of Jesus still cuts to the heart. The gospel of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit has the ability to cut through all the crap we see in our world today and to show people, listen, we are sinful and we do need a savior. And guess what? God is so good. He's provided one for us. And this message still cuts us to the heart. We still figure, we still see and we still understand woe is me, like I'm a sinful person, we see this. And yet when the gospel is preached and we begin to recognize I am sinful, God says, yeah, you are sinful, but I provided a cure for your sin and his name is Jesus. And so we see that this message is intended to cut us to the heart, it's intended to begin to separate out of us this, this prideful arrogance against God and it's intended to begin to cut us at at the deepest part of our being so that we can see the truth and the light of Christ that we can turn our lives to him and that we can begin to live for him instead of for ourselves. The other thing it's intended to do is change our minds about Jesus. Peter says this in verse 38, when they 
It says they're cut to the heart. They said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And in verse 38, Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. See, repentance means change of mind. It means to have a change of mind. It's really like having a second thought that corrects the first. And what he's saying is, look, you guys, you crucified the Messiah. You saw him as a threat. You didn't see him as the Messiah. You didn't see him as the Savior. You didn't see him as Lord. You didn't see him as King of Kings. You didn't see him as all of those things. And they're saying, he's saying this, you need to have a change of mind about who Jesus is. You need to have a change of mind about who Christ is. And when we look at this, um, we realize like, even for us right now, those who are saved in many ways, we need to have a change of mind about who Jesus is. For those who aren't saved and the gospel is preached and you hear the gospel, you hear the good news, we need to have a change of mind about who Jesus is. He's not just a good man. He's not just a prophet. He's not a carp- just a carpenter. He- he's not just um, someone who said some wise things. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the savior of the world. And we can't just say, well, he was a good man. No, listen, he's either Lord or lunatic. There's no other option. Anybody that claims to be God, if they ain't God, they crazy. So we need to see that. Many of us, we need to have a change of mind about Jesus. Many of us, we live in fear and, and, and these, this fear and these strongholds. We need to have a change of mind about Jesus. We need to have a change of mind about who God is as he's revealed himself in Jesus. If God is truly the God who cares for the sparrows and says, look, you are much more worth, you're worth so much more than the sparrows. If if that's true, if that's who God is and that's who Jesus has said he is and we live in this place of fear and this is not condemnation, this is encouragement and we live in this place of fear, then we need to have a change of mind to be able to say, you know what? God's got this and we need to preach it to ourselves. You know what? I'm worth more than sparrows. If I'm worth more than sparrows, then surely God who feeds the sparrows is gonna care for me. Surely God who clothes the flowers of the field, he's going to care for me. In our our, our seeking for autonomy, this, this, this living in my own plan, my own will, we need to have a change of mind. And really begin to believe that if I won't lean into my own understanding, but if I'll trust in him and acknowledge him and trust my path to him, that he's gonna make that path straight. Need to have a change of mind. His plan may not be my plan, but guess what? His plan is perfect. His plan is best, even when it doesn't feel that way. So we need to have a change of mind. So the message was intended to go to the world. The message was for those who are far off, like us, the Gentiles, these these people who are seen as unclean, the sinful people. The message was intended to accomplish God's purpose of filling the world, filling the earth with the knowledge of his glory, with this unified humanity who had been cut to the heart by this message of Jesus and repented of their sins. They had a change of mind about who Jesus is. They went from either inquisitive or mocking, and many of them that day 
came to this place of recognizing who he is, having a change of mind, and instead of mocking or just being inquisitive, they began to follow. We also need to see this, what the message promised. Look at verse 24, he says this, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Verse 32, God raised this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of it. We talked about the importance of the resurrection a couple of weeks ago. But the first thing that's promised through faith in Christ is eternal life, eternal life. He says death couldn't hold him down. And for those who put their faith in Jesus, death won't hold us down either. In fact, we've already come to life. If you are in Christ, you have faith in Jesus, you've already crossed over into eternal life now. It's not something we wait for. And so he gives eternal life. The problem with this guys in the church is that too many people in the church today because of how we've approached it, how we've taught it, thinks that this is all there is. Like eternal life is the whole point. Like that's why I go to church. That's why I sometimes go to Bible study. That's why I sometimes serve. That's why I sometimes do this. That's why I sometimes do that. Is because the point is to get to heaven. Like Alan Jackson said, you know, I'm working hard to get to heaven. Y'all remember that song? Bad theology, decent song, bad theology. And that's what we're, we're trying to do. We're just trying to work hard to get to heaven. I remember when I was young, I guess I was probably about 10, we went to Disney World. And I haven't been to Disney World in a long time, but I'm just gonna be quite honest with you. Disney World for a 10-year-old when I went sucked. Like, I'm thinking more like roller coasters. I'm thinking like, this is gonna be awesome. I'm thinking like, we're gonna ride the best roller coasters in the world, because this is Disney World. We got there, nothing. We stood in line, and I think I've mentioned this to you guys before, we stood in line for three hours to get on a ride called It's a Small World. Anybody been on that ride? How many of you wanted to throat punch Mickey Mouse when you got off that ride? I did, three hours. And we're standing there and we get on it and it's like, it's like, it's a small world. It's got these little lights down there. And like, I came to Legoland. What is this? You know, so disappointing. Not, not what I expected. And I wonder y'all, when people hear the gospel preached and they hear the promises that we proclaim in scripture and, and all of this, and then they come to church and then they, they kind of hang out and, and all it really is, is, is it's kind of like, hey, I, you know, I got this, thing, I'm going to go to heaven one day. I wonder if, if God and Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the church, I wonder if sometimes for them, that's not a small world experience where they, they kind of come in and are like, you mean I sat through an hour and 15 minutes of this and this is it, but there's more to it y'all. There's more to it. In fact, that one of the promises is eternal life, but there's so much more to it. We even see this, that, that, that Jesus is basically um, through Peter, God is telling us that, look, it's not just about eternal life. That is one of the things and that is great and that is awesome. But Jesus, it says, has also given us back authority to do what we were created to do. If you look at verse 30, he says this, but he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an, on oath 
that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. That's what's called the Davidic covenant. He promised David, one day someone from your lineage, from your line is going to sit on the throne forever. In other words, Jesus has now become king of kings. Every enemy's been put under his feet. There's no name that is above his name. And now he's given authority to us to carry out his purposes in the world. If you look at verse 33, it says he was exalted to the right hand of God. He's received from the Father. The promised Holy Spirit has poured out what you now see and hear. He's been exalted to the right hand of the Father because of what Jesus did. God has exalted him and given him a name that's above every name. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. Listen, here's the question. Here's the challenge. Has Jesus been exalted in our heart in the same way that God has exalted him to heaven? Is he the king of kings in my heart? Is he the Lord of lords in my heart? Does the gospel still cut me to the heart to remove those things that aren't of God and to lead me into Christ's likeness? The other promise is the forgiveness of sins. He tells us in verse 36, therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Verse 38, Peter says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Y'all know who put Jesus on the cross? Kind of a trick question. I'm just gonna go ahead and throw that out there. Because a lot of times when people ask that question or people state that, they say, I did. Like my sin put Jesus on the cross. But you know who put Jesus on the cross? Jesus. Like I couldn't force Jesus to go to the cross. Jesus even said that. He's like, look, nobody can take my life from me, but I'm gonna willingly lay down my life for you. Now it was for my sin, as he says here. Um, if you look there again at verse 36, he says, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Listen, they put him on the cross, but Jesus chose to go there because of our sin. Because I am a sinful person. You are a sinful person. Jesus was willing to go to the cross for us, but it wasn't the Jews. It wasn't Pontius Pilate. It wasn't me. It wasn't you. Jesus put himself on the cross to pay for my sin. And so that's why Peter could say that. He could say, listen, if you'll repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, it's for the forgiveness of sins. It's another promise. We're promised eternal life. We're promised authority to carry out our purpose. We're promised the forgiveness of sins. And then the last promise is this. We see in here. Look at verses 38. The end of 38 and 39, he says, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all those who are far off for all whom the Lord, our God, will call. This last promise is the promise of life now. The promise of life now. 
irrespective of our circumstances, irrespective of the things we go through. Peter says this, if you will repent, if you will have a change of mind about Jesus, if you will have a second thought that corrects your first thought about Jesus and you give him your life, you surrender your life, you surrender to him as Lord of Lords, you see him as a King of Kings, he becomes the King of your heart, he becomes the Lord of your heart, you begin to walk in fellowship with him, then what we begin to see is that the promise is for us the gift of the Holy Spirit, not just one time, but again and again and again and again and again. And so what we begin to experience is true life now. True life now. Not something we have to wait for. Not something that's far off. Something that now is here in Christ. I want you to see this. We talked about Pentecost being a festival. It was a day they celebrated. Talked about that last week. I want you to see this. That after the gift of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, Pentecost was no longer a day or a festival. It became a promise. It became a promise that those who believe, those who repent, those who turn to Jesus will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And what this tells us is that God now is not someone that we should just be observing a lot of laws and rules for. God now is someone that we should be having a relationship with, that we should have experience with, that we should walk with, that we should talk with, that we should be intimate with, that we should be able to hear his voice, that his spirit is leading us, his spirit is empowering us, his spirit is giving us strength to face conflict, his spirit is giving us strength to be bold. His spirit has given us strength to proclaim the good news of Jesus. His strength, his spirit has given us strength that, that even in times when we feel like, man, if I speak out in this and I share my heart about Jesus, they're going to look at me like I'm, I've lost my mind, like I'm cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. But you know what? There's something in me that's really big and really pushing me. And it's kind of like me standing in that office when this dude's getting up and his big sailor tattooed arms about to punch me in the face and something rises up inside of me. And I'm like, I'm not going anywhere because this ain't right. And something begins to, to rise up inside. And you know what? I've been spending time with God and God is impressing things upon my heart. And there's this courage and boldness that begins to come from somewhere other than me because I realize, listen, it becomes cliche and we quote scripture, but it's true. Greater is he who's in me than he who's in the world. Like, I don't have to fear what, what, what the world's bringing against me because you know why? The King of kings and the Lord of lords has ascended and he sent back his authority into my life and he sent back the power of the Holy Spirit so that I can do everything he's put me here to do. And even if it means costing me my life, even if it means costing me my job, even if today is the day I take my last breath, hope it's not, but if it is, the best is still yet to come. So here's where we get to in this. All of us, listen today, all of us, all of us, every single person sitting here, we need to have a change of mind about Jesus. Somewhere in your life, in my life, we need to have a change of mind about Jesus. There's some area of your life, there's some area of my life that Jesus is not King of Kings and Lord of Lords. 
One of the ways you can figure out where that is is what's, what's causing you anxiety right now? What's keeping you up at wake or, or keeping you awake at night? What's occupying your thoughts and your mind? Listen, Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords over that too. And we need to come to a place where we have a change of mind about Jesus. Is it a sin that you're stuck in? What it is. Is it an addiction? Is it pornography? Is it sexual addiction? Is it, I don't know what it might be. Is it, you know, gossiping? Guess what? When we declare in that song, break every chain, break every chain, not just a good lyric to a song. That's why Jesus came. And I need to have a change of mind about who Jesus is and what Jesus can do in that situation. And listen, guys, it's not easy. It's a fight. But we've been given the weapons of warfare to win this fight. In fact, we don't even fight to have a victory. We're fighting from victory. And the truth of the matter is, if we'll stand on God's truth and we'll allow God's truth to cause a change of mind about who Jesus is in the circumstances we face, listen, we can walk in the freedom that Jesus promised and we can fulfill the purpose we were created to fulfill. But every one of us in here today need to have a change of mind. For some of us, we need to have a change of mind about who Jesus is in regard to salvation. For some of us, we've approached Jesus as the way to eternal life, but that's kind of been it. And it hasn't even been really through faith. It's been through this process of you know, working hard to get to heaven. And we never really experienced the joy of salvation. Like when we hear people say that, like, you know, just the joy of salvation. And we read scriptures that say, you know, return to me the joy of myself. Like what? What is that? Because we never really experienced the power of grace. We've never experienced the true forgiveness of sins. We've never experienced the relationship with Christ. We've never experienced the power of the gospel. Because for many of us, it's just been something we go through the motions of. But I would ask you, much like what Peter said there in Acts chapter two, he said, the promise of the Holy Spirit is for you and your children and for all who are far off. And he said this, for all whom the Lord, our God, will call. Is the Lord calling you, right? Is he calling you by name? Is he drawing you to himself? Are you realizing there's more to this than just a ticket to heaven? Like, this is more. Pentecost isn't this day or this thing of history. It's a promise. 
And so here's the opportunity before we leave. If, if you don't know Christ, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you've never um, come to faith in him, but, but today you know like God's calling, God's calling, and maybe he's been calling for a while. You've been resisting, but the Lord's opening your heart to this. Then today I wanna give you just an opportunity to acknowledge that God is calling and I'm saying yes to him as King of kings and Lord of lords of, Lord of, lords of, my, of my life to hear this gospel preached of the forgiveness of sins and life through Christ. And God's calling me to respond. So I'm gonna ask you to do this. I wanna ask you to make that public. I'm gonna ask you to respond to his call right now. And if that's you, the Lord is drawing you, calling you to salvation today. Then I'm gonna ask you to be bold and stand to your feet. Um, raise your hand, do, acknowledge this somehow so that you can begin to walk out this life of faith with the body of Christ. We wanna come to you, acknowledge this with you and help you take your next steps of faith. So if you're here today and that's you, you say, look, I need Christ. I know I don't have Christ. I know I don't have this relationship. I need the forgiveness of my sins and the life and the power of the gospel, the life and the power of the Holy Spirit that he offers. Now I want you to raise your hand, stand up, do something, let's, but let's celebrate this together. Amen. Amen, brother. You can get somebody to come pray with you. Is that okay with you, buddy? All right. I'm in the very back back there. Um, who else? Today's the day of salvation. Listen, maybe you walked in here today and you're beat up and you're brokenhearted and you know I need something. Let me tell you, it's not a what you need, it's a who you need, it's Jesus. Not gonna make everything perfect, not gonna make everything easy, but does give life and gives power and authority to walk out our purposes here on earth. All right, I wanna pray for us. Listen, won't you let God point out to you while we're praying that area that we need to have a change of mind about Jesus in and allow him to begin to speak to that. Father, we thank you for your word and its truth. We thank you for the gospel. Lord, I thank you that your word still cuts to the heart. Your still, word still delivers. Your word still um, leads us to, to you. You still call us by name. You still come to the brokenhearted. And God, we are thankful for that. I pray, Lord, that each one of us would be able to have a change of mind in our, in our heart, in our, in our life, God, and, and how we relate to you and how we see you, God, that the areas of our life that maybe you aren't Lord of Lords, maybe you aren't the King of Kings, Lord, whether it's fear or anxiety, whether it's um, materialism, whatever it might be, God, I pray right now, Lord, that we would um, just allow you right now, God, and surrender for you to be the king of, uh, of our heart, Lord, the Lord of our heart, the Lord of our life. And so we, we praise you, God, in that. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.